0: Let's look at Philippians... I know, there it goes. And this is the message. And we're calling this humiliation and exaltation. When you think of humiliation, that's going down. When you think of exaltation, that's coming up. When you think what Jesus did... He went down, he died, and was buried. In exaltation, he came up, and he's alive, and he's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So we'll see that. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles this Easter morning to Philippians chapter two. We're celebrating the resurrection of our Savior Jesus Christ. And I've got right here. This is Resurrection Day, is when we think about Christ and His death and His resurrection. They they go together. He died on the cross to pay for sin and rose again to conquer death. And we know the wages of sin is death, so Jesus Christ died and. We know that death, you know, death has a victory or did have a victory, and suddenly Jesus Christ has conquered all death. And so we're going to see how that fits together. As the angel said to Mary, look, he is risen. He is not here. Uh, death has no sting. The grave has no victory. So this morning, we're going to look at that. I've got some, it's, a, it's a neat passage. And you may have thought, well, I don't, I don't ever remember really anything about uh, Easter from Philippians chapter 2, but we're going to look at it. We're, we're thinking Easter celebration. We think about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We gather because of our risen Savior. Think about it. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, I delivered to you the first importance which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. He was buried, and then what? Rose again on the third day according to Scripture. So when you think of Easter, you think of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 4, it says he died for our sins and rose for our justification. In Romans chapter 1, he's declared to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead. Sometimes we don't always realize that for him to be raised up, he had to go down. In Philippians chapter 2, we're going to see a passage, which I love it as, I, as you study it. It's, it's a famous passage in the Bible. and I'm to, When I say famous passage, for people who do theological study, this passage is called the kenosis passage. I'll, I'll explain it to you when we get there. And, and usually when people look at this passage, they're not thinking about Easter. They're just talking about what Paul wrote in Philippians 2. But I want us to think about Easter because we're going to look at two things. We're going to think about his humiliation, which is his death, and his exaltation, which is his resurrection. We're going to think about him going down, leaving the glory of heaven, coming to the earth so he could become a man, so he could die for us. That's the going down. But then we're going to think about his coming up the resurrection, how he paid for sin and gaining victory over the grave. So this morning, we're calling this the Easter story, the death and the resurrection of our Savior. Let's think for a minute, what was it like that day? He died, of course, uh, and and to be real honest with you, if you like Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through 40, Jesus said, as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish, what does it say? Three days and three nights, so must the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth. What? Three days and... Three nights. Now, if he died on Friday, you can't get three days and three nights. I don't think Jesus died on Friday. I think he died on Wednesday, but that doesn't matter. But anyway, the bottom line is that on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, Jesus Christ came up out of the grave. And think about that morning. Very early in the morning, the women who had seen him bury him, seen, seen where they put him, seen the stone go across the way, they said, okay, well, we're going to wait some days because they're, they, they were going to go out to do what? What were they going to do? What, anoint the body. What, what? See, when people died, they wrapped them up and put stuff on them, you know, stuff that smelled good and, and myrrh and, uh, you know, and they put that on them. And then as the body would decay, the smell would be there and they would go back in and anoint the body until there's nothing left but bones. That's what they would do. So here after three, three days, three nights, they decide it's now first day of the week, very early. They're going to go to the tomb and anoint the body. On the way, they're talking. They're talking like, I don't know how we can get in there because that stone's really big. We may have to go find somebody to help us move the stone. But when they got there, uh, the stone was moved. And they went in and they, they didn't find the body. They, there were some angels. We're going to see it more in the church service this morning. When we look at Luke tw- chapter 24, we're going to see that uh, it wasn't what they expected. He wasn't there. Where could he be? They saw the angels who said, why are you looking for the living one among the dead? He is not here. He is risen just as he said. What a message. So when we think about it, he had already told them, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'll be arrested by the Jews, I'll be turned over to the Romans, I'll be crucified, and three days later I will rise again. He told them that if you go to the Gospel of Matthew, there are five places in the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus tells that. Five times before he ever gets to Jerusalem, he says, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'll be arrested by the Jews, I'll be turned over to the Romans, I'll be crucified, and three days later I will rise again. He had died and risen from the dead, the going down and the coming up. So his message has been very clear. He fulfilled it. When we see the Easter story, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, his humiliation is going down to death, his exaltation coming up and resurrection. Now, I want us to look at that because Philippians gives us the going down and the coming up. You may have never thought about it, but in Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 5 and going through verse 11, that passage gives us the going down and the coming up. In fact, as we look at Philippians, and I want you to look at it with me today, and I want you to think about it, there are five steps going down. And if you've never seen this before, you're going to go, oh, this is amazing how beautiful the Word of God is. So we're going to see the five steps down. I want you to start by Paul gives an exhortation. He's writing to the Philippians, and here's what he says. Look at verse 5. He says, have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. He's giving a charge, and he says, have the same attitude as Jesus Christ. Well, think about it. What do you mean? Think the same way Jesus thought. What was the attitude? The attitude was humiliation. When Jesus Christ came, Jesus left the glories of heaven to become a human being. He became a human being so he could die in our place. Do you think it's a step down for the Son of God to become a person? Is he not always existed? Listen, when you think about it, give me the Trinity. Who's the Trinity? The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Does the Father have a body? No. Does the Spirit have a body? No. Does Jesus have a body? Yes, but he didn't have a body until he became a person. From all eternity, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, spirit beings going through all eternity and at a point in time in history, Jesus Christ left the glories of heaven to become a person. Do you think that's coming down any? I think so. So we're going to look at that, and we're going to see that he came, humiliation, he came to do the will of the Father. That was his attitude. In fact, as you look in verse 6, now verse 6, I want to show you something there because there's a lot in there, and I want you to see it. Look at verse 6. It says, Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. And he says he's existing. Now let's look at verse 6. It says, although he existed, and literally it says existed in the form of God. Now the word for form, because it almost sounds like he looked like God. He existed in the form of God. But the Greek word morphe means an outward display of an inward reality. When it says Jesus looked like God, it's saying he is God. He's a God on the inside, and he looked like God on the outside. He's existing as God. And by the way, even though my Bible says he exists in the form of God, it's not existed, it's existing. It's actually present tense. It's continuous. He is continuously God. Now, I want you to think about something. Jesus Christ from all eternity, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Is that true? At a point in time in history, what happened? Jesus Christ became a what? A person. Did he cease to be God? What does this say? He is existing in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, where he is in his position in the eternal place with, Jesus, with, with the Father and the Spirit, it wasn't something he said, I can't leave. He said, I'm going to leave. He did not hold on to his position, willing to be more. You know, the, the, there was a plan. The Father came up with the plan, the Son carried out the plan, and the Holy Spirit reveals the plan. What was the plan? The plan was that Jesus Christ, the Son, would become a human being, come to the earth, die on the cross to pay for the sins of mankind, and be buried, and then rise again. That's the plan. The Father came up with the plan. The Son said, I'll carry out the plan. And the Holy Spirit said, I'll reveal the plan. I'll make sure people know what the plan is. And that's what we see as we look at the Bible. Now, we're going to see the five steps down. And if you've never seen this, you're going to love it. It's beautiful. Look what he says. Verse 7, but emptied himself. The first step down is to empty himself. Now, the New American Standard, one of the Bibles says laid aside privileges. The NIV says made himself nothing. The old King James says made himself of no reputation. The word emptied himself is the Greek word for kenosis. It means to empty And that's why I told you that theologians call this the kenosis passage because people want to argue, what does it mean Jesus emptied himself? Some people say, well, he uh, quit being God. That when he left the glories of heaven and when he came to become a human being, he ceased being God. Do you think that's right? Was he always God? How do you know? How do you know that? Let me ask you this. When Jesus Christ walked on this earth, was he born as a baby? Okay, well... That doesn't sound like God to me. Uh, uh, did, he, did he ever get tired? I mean, when he was at the well with the woman at the well, and he said it, it says he was weary, right? Uh, did he get hungry? You remember when he was in the, in the wilderness for all that time? It says he was being hungry, and Satan came and said, won't you change these stones into bread? That sounds like a person to me, right? So tell me how you know from the Bible that Jesus Christ, while he's a human being, never ceased to be God. Huh? Oh, he said. You're saying Jesus said he was God? Can anybody tell me where Jesus said he was God? I and the Father are one. John ten thirty. If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Before Abraham was, I am. I am the resurrection and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I am the light of the world. I'm the bread of life. He, over and over, Jesus Christ said he's God. In fact, when he said he's the son of God, that's the same as saying you're God. He called himself God. The son of David, that's the Messiah and the king. He called himself the son of man, that's from the book of Daniel that we've been studying. That's the Messiah and the Savior. So, did he, did, let me, can you tell me anything that Jesus did when he was a human being that showed he was God? What did you say? Raised what, he raised somebody from the dead. Exactly. What else? Walked on water. Gave sight to a blind man. Huh? Gave sight to a blind man. Huh? He was on top of the mountain. Got Peter, James, and John there. And while he's up there, he shines so brightly that the Bible's so funny because it says he was so his clothes were so white that nobody could wash them and get them that clean. You know, it was just amazing how he is. And uh, what about did he calm the sea? Yeah. I mean, think about all the things that he did. He did something else that only God could do. He forgave. Sins, exactly. Remember that guy, they're laying on the mat, and Jesus said, your sins are forgiven you, and the religious leader said, well, who does this guy think he is? Only God forgives sin. And Jesus said, oh, you want me to show you that I have the power and the authority to forgive sin? Which would be easier to do, say I forgive sins or get up and walk? Well, just show you I have the authority to forgive sins, get up and walk. And the guy got up and walked out. So did Jesus, when it says emptied himself, did it mean he emptied himself of being God? No, I think he veiled it. I think what he did is availed his deity, right? Because he's still God, but when people saw him and they saw him walk around, what did did he look like? Just like a person. Now, they would say things like this. Nobody ever taught like this guy. He teaches as one who has authority. Nobody ever did the things that he does. He went into the temple two different times. And said, what do you think you people are doing? And he started turning over the tables, running all those people out of there, throwing their money away. He says, this is my my house, the Father, is a place of prayer. You've made it what? A den of thieves. He did things nobody else did. So the first aspect is he veiled, I think he veiled his glory. And the first aspect of going down is to veil his glory. Now, I think there are, and, and David mentioned it a while ago, I think there are two places that while Jesus was on this earth that he had veiled his glory, I think there are two places where he let up the glory, ju- just so they could see it for a little bit. Listen, here's the truth. Can any man see God and live? You remember Moses said, I'd like to see you, and God, God said, well, you can't really see me, but what I'll do is I'll put you in the cleft of the rock, and I'll let you see my back. But if you look directly, I mean, until we have a glorified body, you're not going to be able to look at him in the same way, okay? Okay? So I think there are two times that he lifted the veil just a little bit. One was on the Mount of Transfiguration, as David just mentioned. He gets up there, and all of a sudden, he's so bright and shining, they can't even look at him, and he's talking to Moses and Elijah, and he's talking about what he's about to do. He's going to Jerusalem to pay for sins and then go back to the Father. And then the second time is in the garden uh, when they came to arrest him. And you remember Jesus stepped out from his men and said, Who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And what did he say? I am, and when he said I am, what did they do? They took steps back and fell to the ground. I think he left, just like a. I said, here's a little power, just a little power. Because, see, I could call, what, 10,000 angels? I, 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 could, I don't have, I'm get, giving up my life. I mean, nobody's taking my life from me, as Jesus said. Nobody can take my life. So, he, he is amazing. So, the first one that we see is he emptied himself. He veiled the glory that he has. I mean, we all want to say, "Look, look what I did! Look, look what I did! Look who I am!" But think about Jesus. What if He'd say, "Hey, by the way, I'm really God. I just want you to know that. I mean, I know I don't look like it right this second, but you know, I'm really God. You better, you know, you need to treat me like God." He didn't do that, did he? He just went through life. Notice verse seven again. But He emptied Himself. That's the first one. Look at the second one. Taking the form. Of a bond servant. The second one is he took the form of a bond servant, which is the form of a slave. And, and once again, that word morpheme means outward expression of an inward reality. When it says he took the form of a slave, that means he is a slave. He's a servant. Who did he come to serve? He came to serve the father, didn't he? He said, I've come to do the will of the Father. Hebrew chapter 10, verse 7 says, Behold, I've come to do your will. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. When Jesus Christ came, he said, I do the will of the Father. He came as the servant. He came as a servant. Why? To do the will of the Father. So think about this. This is the eternal God is Jesus and the Father and the Spirit equal. Completely equal. Does one have, is one more God than the other? They're completely equal. And yet, Jesus Christ became a, what well, it says, emptied himself, veiled his glory, and said, I will do whatever the Father says for me to do. You know, when they're kids and they argue, and one of them says, you're not the boss of me, right? You're not the boss of me. Because Jesus said to the Father, you're not the boss of me. No, Jesus said, I'll do whatever you say. I've come to the earth to do the will of the Father. Why? He says, I'm a servant. You remember the last night? What did he do at the last night at what we'd call the Last Supper? Wash their feet what a servant would do, what none of them would do. Jesus did it all that embarrassed Peter so bad. He said, wait a minute, you don't need to wash my feet. And Peter Jesus said, I need to. He said, well, no, I don't think so. And he said, well, if you don't, if I don't wash your feet, you won't have a fellowship with me. And he said, well, just wash me all over. He said, no, you don't need it all over. You just need your feet. Peter, you know, that's Peter. Just do it all over. Okay, no, just, you're, you're fine. You're fine. He said, you call me. Savior and Lord, and I am. If I have, what? Served you, what should you do? Serve others. So he came as a servant. Okay, that, that's it. Now, here's the third one. Look what it says. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the what? The likeness of men. He became a person. Now, think about that. You're the eternal God who's always existed. Well, I can't even comprehend it. I can't comprehend that... He is a spirit being who's always existed. I can't comprehend that. I can believe it. I just can't. I mean, I can think of something keeping on going, but I can't think of something that never started. It just, my mind can't grasp that. So, But here he is as the eternal God. He's emptied himself. He's veiled his glory. He's become a servant to mankind and to the Father, so to speak. And he's made in the likeness of a person. He becomes a human being. John 1, 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among him, and we beheld his glory. And there he is. I mean, th- th- he's become a human being. Now, you know, we know why he had to become a human being. Because you think about it, when God created the heavens and the earth, he made it all, and he put a king on the earth. Who was the king? Adam. Adam was a king. Adam is Adam and Eve, he put them on and he said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue the earth. You are the king of the earth. And they failed. And so he's going to send another man who one day will be the king of the earth. He's coming the first time to die, but he's going to come the second time to reign as the king of kings and the Lord of lords to be the king of the earth. And so he's becoming a human being. And he, he walked, he talked, he ate, he got sleepy, he got tired, he, he slept, he got hungry. Uh, I mean, uh, when you think about it, God became a person. And so look at verse 8, being found in the appearance as a man. Can you imagine that while Jesus is on the earth and there's Peter and James and John and all the guys and all the people and the ladies and they're walking around with a man who is who? Who's God. He's God. He's the God-man. And that's why Paul writes and said, there's one mediator between God and man. It is the man, Christ Jesus. He's the God-man. He's the only mediator that can go between God and man because he's both the God-man. And that's amazing because he's not any less God by being a man and he's not any less man by being God. He's the, only, he's the most unique being ever. Think about that. The most unique being ever is Jesus Christ. He's the God-man. Now, he died and rose again, right? ascended he into heaven, right? Is he a spirit being again now? No. No. He's got a what? He's still got a body. still got a body. In fact, when he rose from the grave, we're going to talk about it this morning. We're going to talk about it here. He has got a body. And so, where is he right now? Right Seated at the right hand of the throne of the Father. Will he always have a body? For all eternity? Will you have a body for all eternity? Yeah, we get to be with him, right? I don't know if we'll ever see, and we may, there, because sometimes when you look at the Scripture, there's this manifestation somehow of God the Father sitting on a throne and everything's glowing and all that, and then Jesus comes up beside him and receives the kingdom. That's in the book of Daniel. But, but for sure, we'll see Jesus in a body for all eternity. So he became a human being. Can you imagine the perfect, righteous God? Do you think it, uh, you think it was limiting to him? <laughs> I mean, he, think about it. He would be in one place at one time, but he could be everywhere. It boggles the mind to think that the transcendent creator took on the likeness of the creature to become fully human. And think about it. He didn't come as an emperor. He didn't come as a king. He didn't come as a statesman. He didn't come uh, as a banker. He came as a baby. Think about that. A baby born to a carpenter... And his wife, Hudson Taylor said this. He said, "Being all powerful, he became a feeble infant wrapped and in swaddling clothes. He, being the loved one of the father, became despised and rejected of people." That's almost, that's just hard to imagine, isn't it? So, what do we got? He emptied himself, gave up his glory. And when I say gave up his glory, I mean the veiled it aspect. Gave it up that people didn't see it, but he still himself. Became a servant to come to do the will of the Father. Became a person, took on flesh. Now look what it goes on to say. Being found, verse 8 again. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. The fourth step down is he died. He humbled himself to die. And he humbled himself to be obedient to death. He humbled himself and gave himself up for us. He died for us. Now, can you imagine this? He gave up his life. I mentioned it a while ago that Jesus said, "I don't. I, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down and I take it right back up. He said, even at the, when they were arresting him, I can call all kind of angels. I mean, I can do anything I want to do. It still amazes me that when he's on the cross, And they're saying things like, come down off the cross, come down off the cross. Uh, Could he come down off the cross? I mean, he could have. He could have said, that's enough out of you. He could have done anything he wanted to. But he didn't. What did he do? He never even said a word. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter. Because if he comes down off that cross, he didn't pay for our sins. So it says he became obedient to the point of death. The all-powerful God chose to die, chose to die, you know, the Bible says for a good man, somebody might die, and throughout history, there have been people who would die for other people, let's see in war, or, you know, somebody get, somebody's in a burning, but they go in, I'm sorry, i got to get this kid out, or, and then they died, or somebody's drowning, and they jump in, and they get them up, and they didn't, they didn't make it, and sometimes we say, you know, uh, you know sometimes pe- uh, people will die for maybe other people, maybe for good people. But in Romans, he says Jesus died for enemies. We weren't his enemy. He was our enemy. We were imitated with God. Oh, we like Sheba gone astray, each one our own way. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's not one that seeks after God. We, we do our own thing. Why did the Son of Man come to die? Why would the Son of God become a man to die? To pay for sin. What's the wages of sin? When did Jesus die? Pay for sin on the cross. He became our substitute. Substitute. Think about it. Uh, why is it? Let me throw this out because we got some time. Why is it that when God set up a sacrificial system and He said that if a person has a has a particular sin. They can come and bring a lamb or a bull or a goat or some kind of animal, even birds, and you bring them and you put your hands on top of them and it's supposedly, it's taking your sin and putting it on this animal and this animal dies in your place as your substitute. That was the sacrificial system. That's the Mosaic law. Uh, Did that pay for people's sins? No. It only what? It only covered them. So, the Son of God came to pay for sins. Hebrews ten four says the blood of bulls and goats can never take away sin, but Hebrews ten verse twelve says when he offered one sacrifice for sin forever, what did he do? He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He came to pay for our sins. He became our substitute. We teach a class called the 2-2, and I love it because there's a whole section in there in which we go over words like propitiation and justification and imputation. We had all those theological terms that talk about what Jesus did for us. And it's just amazing. But he died for us. I want you to think about this. First John 2, 2, he is the satisfactory payment, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, For God hath made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. First Peter 2, 24, he bore in his body our sins on the cross. Isaiah 53, it says, All we like Sheba have gone astray, each one our own way, but the Lord hath laid on him the iniquities of us all. So just those four passages tell you that Jesus Christ took our sin on, when he died for us, it is amazing. Isaiah fifty three, he was wounded for our transgressions. Isaiah fifty three six, all our sins were laid on him. Isaiah fifty three eleven, he bore our iniquities. First Peter says we were redeemed not with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. The going down is hard. It's terrible. Ruth Meyer states that the cross shows us God's love. Jesus Christ died for every person. Romans 5 8, God demonstrates his love toward us that while we were really good people, is that what it says? While we were yet what? Sinners, Christ died for us. So what do we see? He gave up his glory. He became a servant. He became a person. He died for sin. And there's one more in this passage. Look at verse 8 again. Being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself by obedient to the point of death. And then what does it say? Even death on a cross. The death on a cross. You know, people talk about cruel punishment. And there's all these things about people saying they put people to death and it's a lethal injection, you know, and they, they get there and then their heart stops and, you know, they die, man. Uh, even the gas chamber, they sit in there and, and, uh, and, and then they just die. And the and electric chair was a little bit worse because it electrocuted them. But uh, the cross was a pretty bad way to die. I always thought... When I was a young guy, just, just growing as a Christian, you know, at 23, 24, 25, and I was learning stuff. I thought, man, you know, they, they you know, sometimes people say they put it through the hands. Sometimes they say they put the nails through there. And I thought, man, being up there, it must just been so hurting so bad. But that's not what die. that's not what kills you on a cross. You suffocate on a cross. You, you're, you're up there and they tie. They usually tie and then they put a nail and they tie and put a nail and they took your feet together and they put a nail and they fix it where your leg is bent so that you can push yourself up. Because what happens is you can't hold yourself up and you start going down like this and eventually it cuts off your windpipe because you're like this and, and you suffocate. You don't have enough strength to keep yourself alive. Now, sometimes people stayed on crosses for days because they were strong enough they kept you know they just kept pulling themselves up they and they just did you know so it was a horrible way to die I mean, the Romans, they, you know, you, you think about the Babylonians. Uh, uh, they threw you in a fiery furnace. And the Medio-Persians, they, they did all kind of things. The Assyrians would put you in the ground, put your head up out of the ground and come by and knock your head off. And that's how a lot of people did it. Some of them took you a pole, a sharpened pole, and they just stabbed you on the pole. But the Romans said, we're going to make it last a while. Because when people disobey the Roman government, they're going to regret it and everybody is going to see it. And so they would crucify people. Thousands of people died by crucifixion. You know, I used to think that only Jesus and maybe a couple, maybe three people in all of history died. That was, no, it was thousands and thousands and thousands. And so they would just put them up there and people would come by and there was a little sign above it. Here's what they did wrong, thief or something, you know, and they would, they would lay, they'd be there for days, some of them, before they suffocated. And so when it says Jesus died, it says he died by death on a cross. See, Jesus didn't just die for us. He died as a criminal for us. He died in a savage way. The Old Testament says, Cursed is the one who hangs on a tree. Well, the tree. He didn't just die. He died a painful death. I want you to think about this. He didn't die of old age, and he didn't die on a soft mattress, and he didn't die by drinking poison or something like that. He died on a tree, on a cross. Look at this. Uh, he, he died, look at Matthew, Matthew 27, 39. Those were passing by, were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads. Matthew twenty-four, uh, twenty-seven, forty, 40, and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. They were making fun of him because they knew it took over 40, 46 to 49 years to build the temple. And he told them that... It, that if they destroyed the temple, he would build it back in three days. And they thought he was talking about the big temple. He was talking about his body. Three days, three days, three nights. And so they're making fun of him and they're saying, you're going to destroy the temple, rebuild it in three days? Well, save yourselves. If, notice, if you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Are we thankful he did not come down from that cross? If he came down from that cross, guess what? We got nothing. I'm just thankful he wasn't mad. Like, uh, we'd have been up there and said, I'll show you. I'll show you who I am. That's what we would have done. But he didn't. He saved others. He cannot save himself. No, he can't save himself. They're right. He saved others. He can't save himself. If he saves himself, he can't save us. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we shall believe in him. You know what? You know what the Bible tells us in Luke 16? Even if somebody comes back from the dead, that doesn't make people believe. It doesn't. That's what it says. Either you believe or you don't. Jesus actually said to him, You've got the Word of God. If you don't believe the Word of God, you will not even believe if somebody comes back from the dead. Wow. He gave up his glory, he became a servant, he became a person, he died. To pay for our sin, and he died on the cross. And by the way, on the cross was not uh, they usually. The the truth is, they took your clothes. You didn't have anything. You remember when they got there? What did they do with Jesus' clothes? They, you know, they had some of them. You got his sandals. You got this. You got this. Ooh, this is really nice. We don't want to tear this up. Let's just cast lots for it. If they cast lots for his clothes, what clothes has he got on? Nothing. That's a shame. And if you're on a cross, you obviously did something wrong, right? That would be like saying whether, you know, you're going to go to the chair or you're going to get, well, you've done something wrong. They're putting you to death. There's a shame involved. Humiliation. Jesus Christ left heaven, became a servant, became a person, died for our sins on the cross. Well, let's just stop there. Is that where we Stop. I remember watching, is Jesus Christ Superstar on tonight? I remember seeing it as a movie years ago, and I kind of got pumped because I was like 24, 25 years old. I thought, ooh, Jesus Christ Superstar, I heard some of the songs. They sound great. I got there. I don't know what this one's going to be like, but you know how Jesus Christ uh, Superstar ended? With his death. There was no resurrection in Jesus Christ Superstar. Now, they may have changed the pro. I don't know. See, we could stop right here and say, wow, isn't that something? And you'd say, well, that's not the end of the story. That's not the end of the story, is it? If we stop right here, we got nothing. See, but Easter is not about the story of the death of Jesus Christ for us. It's not just about that. It's about his exaltation. It's the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's the exaltation. He went down, five steps down, one step up, exaltation. That's our focus every day. Sunday morning. Now, we, we do this once a year, and we go and yay, and we say this is Resurrection Day, and we think about it and do the egg thing yesterday, and the fun thing with the kids. We give them the gospel, and we talk up today about it. But, you know, every Sunday is Resurrection Day. Why? Because Jesus rose from the grave on the first day of the week. We worship on the first day of the week because Jesus rose from the grave on the first day of the week. God has highly exalted him. Look at verse 9. For this reason, what? This reason? That he emptied himself, became a bondservant, became a person, became obedient to death, even the death on the cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name. Highly exalted. The angel said to the women, Well, don't be afraid, you're looking for Jesus. He's been crucified, but he's not here. He's risen, just as he said. Come see where he was laying. Go quickly. Tell his disciples he has risen from the dead. You go to Galilee, you will see him. My favorite part is when it says, He has risen just as he said. Don't you love it? Just like Jesus said, coming from the grave. He is called the Savior because he saves. A.A. Bruce said, A.B. Bruce said, The good news of the gospel begins with the bad news. He died, but three days later, it's all changed to the good news because from death springs eternal life. You know who he is? He's the resurrection and the life. You know who he is? He's the one who... who the one who does not work but believes in him has eternal life. He is the one that by grace we've been saved through faith and not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. He is the one that when we believe in him, that exact moment, we have eternal life. And he is the only Savior. John 14, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. Acts 4.12 says there's salvation and no other. There is no other name given under heaven among men whereby we might be saved. The exaltation is our Savior, Jesus Christ being raised from the dead and I want you to notice the verse it says for this reason God has highly exalted him bestowed on him the name which is above every name he's got the greatest name of all that name is Jesus Christ and look what it says in verse 10 so that at the name of Jesus Every knee will bow, those who are in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Listen, when in Philippians 2, 10 and 11, the exaltation is that every knee will bow to Jesus Christ. Every knee. You say to yourself, I wonder what it will be like when I see him. Do you know that show, As I Can Only Imagine, Right? And the song, is, I can only imagine. And it says, what will it be like? Will I stand in his presence or to my knees? You know, I can tell you what you're going to do. We're going to put our face to the ground. We're going to see the greatest one of all. Every knee will bow. And every tongue will declare you are the Lord. You are the creator, redeemer, sustainer, provider, protector. You are everything. You, you made us. You love us. You saved us. You are the greatest thing that ever is. That's what's going to happen. Every one of us. Unbelievers, every knee will bow and admit that he is the Lord. Even the unbelievers. When they stand before him, as we say at the great white throne judgment, they're going to bow and their names are not found written in the book of life. And if their names are not found written in the book of life, they'll be cast into the lake of fire. He's highly exalted because at the name of Jesus Christ, every human being will bow. Those who are in heaven, those who have already died, those who are on the earth, those who are alive, those that are under the earth, that's talking about the unbelievers because they're in the heart of the earth, a place called Hades. And that every tongue... Every person will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. And who gets the glory? To the glory of God the Father. Why? Because Father said, here's the plan. You're going, paying, rising, coming back, saving them. And guess who gets the glory? The Father. It's the greatest thing ever. So here we are. On Easter, thinking of the death and the resurrection of our Savior. The one who went down and the one who comes up. Going down, he gave up his glory, which, as we said, means to veil it. It doesn't mean he stopped being God because we know that he could forgave sins. He knew what people were thinking. He calmed the seas. He walked on the water. He healed people. He, uh, he just did everything. He became a servant. But that's, who, that's his character. His outwardness is what his inwardness is. He's a servant. He came to serve the Father. He came to serve us. He died for us. He became a servant. What should we be? We're going to be like him, don't we? Don't we want to be like Jesus? Okay? So we should have humility. Humility. And become a servant. He became a person for us. He died for our sins. He died not just in his sleep, but he died on the cross. His exaltation is resurrection. Going up. Going up. See at the right hand of the throne of the Father. He is raised on the third day, given a name above all names. That's why the greatest verse in the Bible is God so loved the world, us, that he gave his son. Gave him to what? To leave the glories of heaven, to veil his glory, to become a servant, to become a man, to die for us, and to die on the cross. And rise from the grave god so loved the world that he gave his son to die and rise again that whoever any human being would believe in him would have what never perish but have everlasting life there's an irish missionary who wrote this that this is a little poem over 1500 years ago and here's what it says down in the realm of darkness he lay a captive bound, but at the hour appointed he arose, a victor crowned. And now to heaven ascended he sits upon the throne in glorious dominion, his fathers and his own. That's who he is. When we come together, it's not about somebody who died 2,000 years ago. It's about the one who died in rose again. We serve a risen Savior. We serve someone who is alive. That's why I loved it when uh, uh, Jesus was was talking and, and uh, he said something like, God's not God of the dead. He's God of the God of the living. When people die physically they don't cease to exist. They're still alive. So And when you think about salvation, as Jesus humbled himself, we have to humble ourselves. And what I mean by that is not do good things or try to be a good person. We must give up trusting in ourselves and our works and our goodness and trust only in Jesus Christ. That's what salvation is. Salvation is me and you saying, I can't save myself. I need a Savior. I realize that Jesus died and rose again for me. He's offered me a gift of eternal life. There's not one thing I can do to earn it or anything. I just take the gift. That's what salvation is. We must give up trusting in ourselves and trust in Jesus Christ. What did he do? He veiled his glory, became a servant, became a person, died for us, and died on the cross. And what did God do? God highly exalted him that the name of Jesus. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Second is just realize that Jesus has gained the victory. He has. Over death and over sin. He's gained the victory. Sin is defeated. He has shed his blood as the payment for sins. 1 John 2, 2, he is the satisfactory payment, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. He has rose rose again, conquering death. You know, we start. I started saying this about, oh, it's been a number of years. But we used to just say Jesus died on the cross to pay for sin and rose again. And I would kind of stopped there. But then I started saying Jesus died on the cross to pay for sin and rose again to conquer death. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. He paid for sin by dying. He conquered death by rising. Amazing truth. Amazing truth. This morning, we want to, we focus the death and resurrection of our Savior. He died for us. he, He went down to die and is exalted by the Father so that one day we'll all bow before him. And we're all going to say, you are the Lord, our God, and our Savior.